Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. If, if we haven't met, I'm Pastor Tony Rognus. I'm Campus Life Pastor over at our West Campus, and, and I'm excited to have a chance to be here this morning with you and to bring this next installment in our Acts series, Living in Step with the Spirit. We're going to pick this theme up in Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to uh, open them and, and turn or scroll to, to Acts chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to look at the, the later part of the chapter, and it's, it's a part of our Acts series that kind of constitutes a shift a little bit. Uh, if, if you remember or if you've read in Acts chapter 1, there's a point where the disciples are told, you will be my witnesses. And then there's this description starting with Jerusalem, this description of witness to an expanding area. And, and the, the, the part of that that comes out of the King James Version that somehow is the way I always think about it is that it ends with, you will be my witnesses in the uttermost part of the earth or to the uttermost part of the earth. Other translations say to the end of the earth. And this is a part of the story of the church in Acts that kind of marks that shift from Jerusalem and the immediate surrounding area out as, as it begins to impact the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're going we're gonna to read, starting in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandeke, which means the queen of all the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem for worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage the eunuch was reading. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? 
And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders for the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Father God, this is your word. And as we look into it this morning, would you work in our hearts and in our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word to show us more and more of what it looks like to live in step with the Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've, if you've been able to follow with us through this uh, through this series in Acts, you maybe remember hearing Pastor Doug a few weeks ago encourage you to pay attention to the background characters, right? There's a lot of background characters that sometimes get lost. I was thinking about that because today there really are very, very few background players, right? This is, this is kind of a two-person scene. It's Philip and the Ethiopian. And, and if you'll allow me, I want to take a look at this account. I want to take a look at this event from the perspective of each of those individuals. Okay? So let's do that. I want to start with Philip. He's, he's known to historians and particularly to church historians, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. He gets that name honestly. I don't know about you, but wouldn't that be a cool nickname to get? Don't you, you know, I sometimes wish I would, have, would be known as Tony the Evangelist. What a, what a cool nickname. What a great way to be known. But he's known that be, as that because in almost every account where we hear something about Philip, in almost every account, Philip is really busy telling people about Jesus. Even the very first account of Philip, you might remember this, Jesus calls Philip and Philip comes and meets Jesus and then kind of awkwardly leaves. Like, where'd you go? He went to tell Nathaniel. Nathaniel, I found him. The one whom the scriptures speak of. Come and meet him. See, he's Philip the evangelist. <coughs> Excuse me. And in fact, if you look a little earlier in chapter 8, at the first part, Philip, just prior to this story, Philip is in Samaria and he's going about his ministry and hundreds and hundreds of people are flocking to him and the others who are in ministry with him and they're healing and casting out demons and, and, and it's kind of a, a crusade, not like the historical Middle Ages military crusade. It's kind of like, uh, uh, 
like a Billy Graham crusade, right? Hundreds of people coming and encountering the message of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this wonderfully successful, amazingly great kind of scene, the Holy Spirit comes to Philip and says, Philip, I want you to go down to the desert road. Language experts that I read about in this passage, I'm not a language expert, but they tell me that the original language, the word that's translated desert, could also be used if you wanted to communicate the word deserted. Right? Philip's got hundreds of people coming. And, and if I'm Philip, I gotta say, Lord, what are you doing? This is working. People every day were coming to know Christ as their Savior, coming to faith. And, and you want me to go down to that deserted desert road? What's that all about? I would have wondered that, maybe Philip wondered that too, but when Philip got the word, go to the desert road, you know what he did? He obeyed. And he went down to the desert road. And when he got there, the Holy Spirit again pointed out to him a chariot. Pointed out to him a chariot and said, uh, uh, Philip, go. That, that chariot. When I was young on the farm, we had a cattle dog and anytime we wanted it to pay attention to a particular cow or a particular thing going on, the phrase we used for that dog was sick. I don't know what that sounds like in Hebrew. But it's almost like the Holy Spirit points out the chariot and says to Philip, sick. I wonder what that chariot might have looked like. I wonder what went through Philip's head. That chariot likely would have had the markings of an Ethiopian especially considering who was in it. It would have been a chariot from among the royal stables of Ethiopia. This man was in charge of the entire treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. He certainly could have found the right kind of transport for such a government official. Philip likely would have identified it in a moment as, that's not from my neighborhood. The people inside of it were Ethiopians, which likely meant their skin was as dark as skin could get. These were not Mediterraneans. These were not Middle Easterners like Philip had grown up with. These were different. They were from a different culture. This Ethiopian that Philip meets with is a high government official. He's familiar with wealth, even though he probably lives 
sort of a slave existence. It's a slave to the queen. He's familiar with wealth and prosperity. He's unlike Philip in almost every possible way. Culturally, ethnically, racially, he speaks a different language. He's from a different socioeconomic status. This person could not be more unlike Philip. And the Holy Spirit calls him from a ministry in Samaria to people who look like him and act like him to a deserted desert road to whoever is in that chariot. By the way, if you desire to live in step with the Spirit, don't be surprised if God calls you to, if, if God draws you to someone who is very, very unlike you. See, as human beings, we're drawn to people who are like us, aren't we? We're drawn to people who speak like us. We're drawn to people who kind of look like us. We're drawn to people who kind of act like us, to people who vote like us, to people who post on social media like us. We're drawn to people like us. Philip's called to who's ever in that chariot. And again, when the Holy Spirit calls, Philip obeys. He goes. He hustles to catch up to the chariot, and then he falls in step. Chariot on a journey this long is probably not, they're not pushing these horses that are pulling the chariot. These horses are walking along at a slow, steady pace for a many, 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 many day journey. And Philip just falls in step alongside the chariot as it moves. And he begins to hear something familiar. Lamb before the slaughter opens not his mouth. And Philip recognizes those words and he, he, he catches on. It's from Isaiah. This guy who is so different from me is reading from the book of Isaiah. And we aren't told if they have any other interaction. Maybe they had pleasant good morning, hope things are going well, I don't know. But maybe they didn't. But for whatever interaction they'd had before, he turns to the Ethiopian and he says, do you understand that? And the Ethiopian sees an opportunity and he invites Philip into his chariot. And maybe this was the point where Philip started to recognize, oh, 
I get what the Spirit of God was doing here. This was an opportunity I would have never gotten to on my own. I'd have never had this chance. And he sits down in the chariot and beginning with the prophet Isaiah, he tells the Ethiopian the good news of Jesus. I wonder how long that took, right? They're sitting in the chariot. Ethiopians got nowhere to go. This is a long, long journey. And Philip, he's got no other appointments, right? He's on a deserted road with nothing else to do except what the Spirit led him to do. And maybe it was 10 minutes. Maybe it was hours. But at some point in time in the conversation, this Ethiopian points out water and says to Philip, in essence, can you baptize me? And Philip gets this, this, this beautiful opportunity, this, this chance to, to baptize this person so unlike him into the Christian faith. And then he's gone. Just disappears. Again, I don't know about you, but if I'm Philip, I'm feeling a little frustrated about this. It's like, Lord, I want to do follow-up. I, I, I want to exchange contact information. Lord, I want to hear more from, I, I really want to know how this goes. I want to know the rest of the story. And Philip never gets to know the rest of the story. Luke, doing his research, has found out the rest of the story and he simply summarizes it by saying, the, the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing in newfound faith. Rejoicing in the forgiveness, the knowledge of the forgiveness of his sin. See, that's, that's the other character. That, that's the other character, this Ethiopian eunuch, right? And, and even though he's a little more intriguing and a little more unique than Philip, we, we don't know much about him. We know he's wealthy and we know he's going from Jerusalem home to Ethiopia. Depending on what part of Ethiopia, that's somewhere between a 1,500 and a 2,000 mile journey in a chariot, right? By the way, this is not a, a Greek war chariot, right? It's not a small, little, nimble chariot that one person stands in heading into battle. This is, this is a chariot carrying a driver and this Ethiopian official and all of the gear that they're going to need for a long journey. There's plenty of room for the Ethiopian to sit there and spread out a scroll of Isaiah and be reading. Well, what else is he going to do on a maybe 2,000 mile journey. You know, you don't have to have good reading material on a journey like that. You'll read anything that's available. But he has, interestingly enough, a scroll of Isaiah. 
And of course, it's not a culture of Amazon.com, three clicks and it's delivered the next day. This isn't, this isn't Barnes and Noble, I'll go to the Jerusalem bookstore and pick up a scroll of Isaiah. This is a rare, precious kind of thing. There were, there were spots of Jewish worshipers that, that craved getting a hold of any piece of scripture. And they couldn't. Oh, but this guy had some wealth and some means. He had found a way to procure a copy of Isaiah. And he was reading it. Maybe because he was very interested and maybe because he didn't have anything better to do. But as he's reading it, this young man comes and falls in step with his chariot, walking alongside, kind of intentionally, like, why doesn't this guy keep going at his pace? He's matching my pace. And then when the young man asks him a question, he sees an opportunity and pulls him in and says, tell me. And Philip tells him. And as Philip is explaining the good news of Jesus, his heart begins to soften and warm. And in his mind, he begins to understand. And he realizes that this lamb that was slaughtered was slaughtered for him. And the price that was paid was paid for him. And the sins that were forgiven were his sins. And as he comes to grips with what Philip is telling him, he realizes that I can trust this Jesus that he's telling me about. And, and then he sees some water in the desert. He sees some water and he sees an opportunity he says, Philip, I want to be one of these Christ followers. Baptize me. And in a desert like that, I don't know if it was a lake or a stream or a puddle or a water trough. I don't know how much water there is. I praise God that his power isn't limited by however much water there is, that that's not a limiting factor for him. But Philip baptizes him. And, and then he turns around. Did you see where he went? He might have asked the driver. He, he was just here. But he gets back in his chariot and he goes on his way rejoicing. So what do we learn from these two, from, from Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch? What do, we, what do we learn from them? Well, one of the things we learn from Philip is that one indicator of living in step with the Holy Spirit is obedience. One of the indicators is, is doing what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do. 
and going where he calls me to go, part of the indicator of of living in step with the Spirit is obedience. And in the Ethiopian, we see that one of the indicators of living in step with the Spirit is that we trust Jesus, that we trust all of what God has done for us. At the risk of oversimplifying it, maybe that's what it is. To live in step with the Spirit, it's, it's trusting and obeying. Trust and obey. Some, some of you are hearing the refrain of an old hymn. Bruce and Laurel are hearing a refrain with me of an old hymn. And I'm going to borrow some phraseology from that old hymn writer to suggest that to trust and obey, there's, there's no other way to live in step with the Spirit but to trust and to obey. Amen. Lord, we confess to you that we can neither trust or obey on our own strength. Lord, we need your Spirit working in us to do that. And so we ask this morning, would you, by your Holy Spirit, give us the faith to trust in what you have done for us? And you would, give, would you give us the desire and the ability to obey, to go where you're calling us to go and do what you call us to do. Lord, work in us. And would you continue to grant that we might live in step with the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.